Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting alongside my colleague Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, we're in another uh, stretch of the offseason here where it's time to talk about the next round of peak performances from the third quarter of the 2017 season. I'm talking about games 9 through 12. And again, for fans, if they'd like to go on Packers.com, you can check out the article, some video highlights, vote for your favorite peak performance from this stretch of the season. I'll throw the first one at you right away, and it's Devontae Adams at Chicago. Um, I know there were a lot of moments throughout the year where we realized Devontae Adams was making those strides to become a Pro Bowl receiver, and, and just this past weekend, obviously, he did participate in his first Pro Bowl. This was one of those games that definitely jumped out, though. It did, and, and the reason it jumped out to me, Mike, is because we saw him make fa- phenomenal catches throughout the course of the season. We saw him step up when Aaron Rodgers was no longer available. But this game in particular, to me, really showed you who Devontae Adams is as a football player because, as you wrote in the peak performances, he wasn't having his best game. It, there were setbacks and adversity early on. And since day one, we've always talked about how headstrong he is. I thought this was a perfect example of that, to put that behind him and make the big plays when it mattered most. Yeah, he had a uh, a, a disappointing drop on a short kind of slant pass crossing route over the middle, whatever you want to call it. Um, Packers ended up having to settle for a field goal on that drive rather than continue it with a first down and possibly get a touchdown. But then Green Bay's last two offensive possessions – his chemistry connection with Brett Hundley really started to shine. He started a touchdown drive with an 18-yard catch, then finished that drive with a 19-yard TD grab on a back shoulder. Just a really nice chemistry type of play between quarterback and receiver there. And then the Bears had gotten back within seven points. The Packers needed one more drive to put the game away. Third and 10, just over two minutes left. Hundley decides to go deep down the right sideline to Adams. He brings it in for a 42-yard catch, just a a huge play. Um, And I didn't even realize until I saw the replay that he caught the thing one-handed. I mean, it was was a perfectly thrown pass, pretty decent coverage by the Chicago Bears. But again, there was just, uh, down the stretch in this game, there was just no stopping Adams. You know, and it's really hard to be uh, hyperbolic about this because there were so many big catches this season for him. I mean, one of our episodes earlier this this month, uh, we even talked about how what was his favorite catch? And I couldn't even come up with one because of <laughs> the multitude of them. But yeah. that 42-yarder, I think, is definitely in the conversation because the Packers needed it. They needed to ice that game. And the fact that, I mean, it is on third and 10, you need to make a play, and Devontae Adams did just that. Yeah. The next peak performance on the list we'll get to here, quarterback Brett Hundley at Pittsburgh, a primetime game at Heinz Field, Packers on the road against one of the top teams in the AFC, one of the top defenses in the AFC. And frankly, nobody saw this performance coming from Hunley. He was uh, coming off of a shutout loss to Baltimore at home, really one of those low points uh, for the Packers during the season. But he comes out in Pittsburgh, 134.3 passer rating, three touchdown passes, all of them long, big play, explosive play um, type TDs. And, uh, And really, you know, for all of Brett Hundley's ups and downs throughout his nine starts, ten games essentially that he played in place of Aaron Rodgers, um, this, in my mind, even though it was in a defeat, was his best best outing. Absolutely, uh, and it's the one I think when you when you bring up the the film from this season, you're going to be like, this is what 
Brett Hundley can be as a quarterback. He was smart, he was accurate, and he made the big plays when they were available to him uh, throughout that game. The, the thing is, and you and I remember this, going into Pittsburgh, nobody was giving the Packers a chance in that game. I forget what the line was. I know it was double digits, maybe 14-point underdogs yeah, it was something, something going like in. Um, it was disheartening from the standpoint that the Packers weren't able to win this one. Uh, falling late, but I thought Hundley had a perfect performance throughout and, and put the Packers in a position to win that game. Yeah, just to recap some of the big highlights there, a 39-yard touchdown pass to Randall Cobb, a 54-yard touchdown pass on a screen pass to running right. back Jamal Williams. We'll talk a little bit more about that um, with another peak performance. But then in the second half, a 55-yard touchdown pass to Devontae Adams. And then really the moment that uh, that defined it for Brett Hundley Drives the Packers 77 yards in 12 plays late in the fourth quarter for a tying touchdown that ties the game at 28-28. And that drive included a fourth and sixth completion to Adams in the red zone to keep the drive alive one play before the Packers get the tying score. Um, I just I tip my cap to Brett Hundley in this one. Nobody was happy about the loss, certainly, but uh, um, but a solid performance at a time when uh, when not a whole lot was expected of him. Yeah, and I think Pittsburgh was the fourth ranked defense at the time too. So I mean, it was no slouch he was going up against either. Yeah. All right. With that, we've got more peak performances to discuss after the break. Back with more on Packers unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkowitz in that one. And Wes, continuing our discussion of the peak performances from the third quarter of the 2017 season, fans can go on Packers.com and watch the highlights and vote for their favorite. Um, three left here, and two of them by the same player, actually. Jamal Williams, both at Pittsburgh and then at home against Tampa Bay. Two big outings here for the rookie running back out of BYU at Pittsburgh. I mentioned the 54-yard screen pass for a touchdown. He also had 66 rushing yards on 21 carries, ended up totaling 135 yards from scrimmage in all. And then against, excuse me, against Tampa Bay at Lambeau Field, his first career 100-yard rushing game, 113 yards on 21 carries with a touchdown, included a uh, uh powerful run at the goal line getting through a defender or two for the score two really nice outings here by Jamal Williams I don't know if you have a favorite one or the other but uh, but again as we talked about throughout the season a rookie running back who was given the opportunity to be the bell cow and he delivered in late October Michael uh, I, I was working on a story on Aaron Jones at the time when he sort of was breaking out and during that same time I talked to a couple people that are very close to Jamal Williams and you know, while Williams always kept the same headstrong approach while he was waiting in the wings, you know, there were some people around him that were wondering if he was going to get his shot again uh, because, you know, he was the backup to Ty Montgomery. Right. The injury happened, then he hurts his own knee. Aaron Jones comes out of nowhere. There was a question going into November of what Jamal Williams' role was going to be with the way that Aaron Jones had run away with things. Jones su- suffers the injury that game, starting with Pittsburgh, I think is the one where we found out, you know what, Packers running backs are going to be okay. Yeah. And if they don't have Aaron Jones, they have Jamal Williams. And they do different things well, Yeah. Uh, which I think complements one another. And then that Tampa Bay game, I just thought he showed what he is in terms of being an every-down, complete running back that can have explosive plays. 
I think we learned a lot about Jamal Williams through the course of this season, the way he handled adversity early on, and then the way he really broke out when he did get the chance to be the every-down guy. Yeah, you look at that Tampa Bay game. He had a 25-yard run in the second quarter there, and that was actually one of seven carries on the day that went for eight plus yards he was uh he was really chewing up the yardage in some significant chunks then you look at the game-winning drive in overtime uh got the the hero seat stolen by uh by Aaron Jones with that 20-yard run for a touchdown but before that he had a nine-yard run and a 12-yard reception that helped get the Packers in position for Aaron Jones touchdown drive if it hadn't been for getting a little winded and needing to come out for a play um you know that's when Jones stepped in and uh and took it to the took it to the house for the victory but um um the other peak performance to talk about though is also from that Tampa Bay game and you flip sides to the defensive side of the ball and that's defensive end Dean Lowry second year guy um everybody's going to remember the 62 yard rumbling bumbling stumbling whatever you want to call it for a touchdown there but uh but it wasn't just that he was an impact player up front on defense throughout this game he got a sack of his own a 14 yard sack when uh, there was a little bit of a stunt that uh, that left him free to get Jameis Winston um the, this is the type of performance that uh, that the Packers were hoping for out of Dean Lowry. They maybe hope to see more of it, but again, still a young, developing player that I think could be a, a big component of this uh, this new Packers defense under Mike Pettin in 2018. Yeah, Mike, and he was the defensive player of the week for the entire the NFL for this performance. As you said, the the 62 yard touchdown is what everybody's going to remember. His jump. His Lambo leap, uh, being completely gassed. At yeah, the say end of on it. an empty tank. Yeah, but the the small things in this, I thought that really mattered most. The combination of him and Kenny Clark contributing to that fumble uh, that Jameis Winston had, and him being able to run it back for yep. the TD. Packers invested a lot to that defensive line when they drafted both Clark in the first round out of UCLA, and they went back and took Lowry out of Northwestern. Entirely different defensive linemen. But Lowry, I thought, more than anything else this season and in this game, proved he's more than a five-tech base defensive end. He can play three-tech. He can play inside when they need him to in the in the dime defense as well. Just really made the impact plays that were there for him and, and certainly uh, I think is you know unequivocally the best game of his career as a Packer. Yeah, okay. So we've gone over all five of the peak performances from the third quarter of the season. Devontae Adams at Chicago, Brett Hundley at Pittsburgh, Jamal Williams at Pittsburgh, Williams also at home against Tampa Bay, and Dean Lowry against Tampa Bay. Do you have a favorite of those five? Devontae Adams. Okay. Um, and the reason I say that is because this is the game where we found out, in my opinion, that this is a guy that can just take control of a game. For the first two seasons of his career, he was the complement to Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb. And even into the third season, Jordy Nelson was the NFL Comeback Player of the Year, 1,200 yards receiving. He had a nice season, but he was still the complement. That was the game, I thought, that was showing him that he can take this thing over and become the top perimeter weapon and can be counted on when the game's on the line. Yeah, and my vote, I I, I like your, uh, your choice there of Devontae Adams, certainly, but... My vote goes to the Dean Lowry performance against Tampa Bay, and I say that because the Packers have Mike Daniels. He's now a pro bowler on the defensive line. We talked a lot about Kenny Clark, the first-round pick, and and he continues. I think he's going to be a rising star in this league. Dean Lowry is not a guy who's going to do what he did against Tampa Bay, win defensive player of the week. You know, He's not going to do that five or six or eight times in a year. He's yeah. not necessarily that type of player. But it's performances like this one that complement the stars up front 
that help the Packers win games. And I think Dean Lowry can have more performances like this and can help the Packers win in 2018. Yeah, and they're young, man. I mean, the Packers have a lot of young studs on that defense, and Lowry's another one that fits into that equation. Yeah, all right. With that, we'll toss to a break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz over there. And Wes, shifting gears from the peak performances now back to our discussion from last show about the changes on the coaching staff. And as this uh, as this Green Bay Packers staff takes shape, uh, one bit of news to pass along. Darren Perry, longtime safeties coach since 2009 when Dom Capers came in as defensive coordinator. His future was a little bit up in the air. The Packers have now announced that he's moving on and pursuing other opportunities. So Darren Perry will not be back. But when I look at how this staff is coming together here for Mike McCarthy, one thing that stands out that you really can't ignore is all of the different connections between a lot of these coaches throughout their careers where they've worked with one another in some different places but never necessarily all together where they are right now. And I won't be able to hit on all of them, but for example, excuse me, Jim Hostler, the new pass game coordinator on offense, he worked with Joe Philbin for a couple of years in Indianapolis uh, over the, the 2016 and 2017 seasons. But he also worked with Mike McCarthy with the New Orleans Saints previously in uh, in his career. Then you have Frank Signetti, the new quarterbacks coach. He and Jim Hostler worked together at Indiana University of Pennsylvania for several years in the 1990s. Signetti also worked in a couple of, at least with New Orleans, I know for sure, with Mike McCarthy when he was yep. offensive coordinator there. Again, it's like it, it almost becomes this tangled web of how all these all these guys are connected in their past. But it's really interesting now when you look at that, you look at that timeline, and then now you see that they're all together coaching together on the Packers offense. Yeah, it's like a, that old you know six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, it's like six degrees of Mike McCarthy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the way that all this comes together. And I actually asked Hostler that, and obviously you wrote a nice story on him on Packers.com. But afterwards, when sort of the group had died down and you'd left, I went back because I wanted to ask him about in two thousand eight. He worked with Mike Pettin yeah, in Baltimore. That's right. um, now, mind you, he was a receivers coach. Pettin was a outside linebackers coach. But it just shows you the ties together and the fact that you know Hostler and Signetti and McCarthy they all had these ties to San Francisco, but then they weren't all at the same time. You know, New Orleans. But it does go back to kind of those Pittsburgh roots uh, at the end of the day. And, and the point I guess I'm trying to make here is that this is a new coaching staff in a lot of ways, especially actually on the offensive side of the ball, even though. They have a new defensive coordinator. But I think the ties that bind everyone ultimately are going to be what helps really cultivate that rapport, relationship, comfort level between those coaches. Because even if you don't have everybody that work together in the same place at the same time, they all know what it's like to work with one another and kind of have that rapport, which I think is going to go a long way in helping this coaching staff come together before the players come back in April. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with Hostler the day that the day that he met the media. When you look at you look at his coaching history, and I asked him a little bit about you know his previous time with McCarthy. He was a position coach for the New Orleans Saints on offense. I believe it was receivers coach when McCarthy was offensive coordinator there. And then the year that McCarthy was offensive coordinator in San Francisco in 2005, 
uh, Jim Hostler was his quarterbacks coach. Yeah. So, and when um, McCarthy left, he went to offensive coordinator. Right, that. and then he and then he took McCarthy's job as as offensive coordinator. And then, as I mentioned, you have Hostler having worked the last two years with the Indianapolis Colts on the offensive staff um, with Joe Philbin. Now, all of those guys are together along with James Camp. And if you look at it from the from sort of the hierarchy, you have Mike McCarthy, Joe Philbin, offensive coordinator, Jim Hostler, passing game coordinator, and James Camp and run game coordinator, as well as offensive line coach. So now, all these guys, and obviously. Philbin and Campen and McCarthy, you know, worked together for a number of years here in Green Bay, and uh, and Campen and Philbin worked together, if I'm not mistaken, in Green Bay before McCarthy. Campen was even his assistant, got here. right? On the he was he line. was assistant on the offensive line. So there's a lot of connections here. Now all of these guys are the four guys at the top of the food chain, so to speak, in terms of in terms of running this Packers offense. And Hostler made an interesting point to me because I asked him about that past with McCarthy, and he said. When he coached for Mike McCarthy in the past, he was just learning how to be a coach, learning how to coach a position. Yeah. You know, now you know you you all of a sudden all these years later you get reunited and all these coaches are in different places in their career. Now it's about the big picture. It's about the concepts. It's about how all the thoughts and ideas come together in a game plan to try to go win football games. And you have the the level of experience when you look at these four coaches that are that are going to be essentially the the brain trust so to speak of the Packers offense the amount of experience is astounding yeah and I think that's when the Packers were rewriting this playbook as Mike McCarthy said they were doing this offseason I think that's one of the things that's gonna be really beneficial because you're gonna have McCarthy's thoughts you're gonna have the returning coaches thoughts but now actually gonna get Joe Philbin's take on it with him being reimmersed in this offense these new coaches coming in in their perspective and keep in mind too you have David Rye the new receivers coach who was a quarterback at Iowa when Joe Philbin was their offensive line coach. Patrick Graham, the new inside linebackers coach and run game coordinator on defense, well, he worked with Frank Signetti in New York. So there's just all this crossover that I think ultimately, as I I said earlier, I think is going to go a long way in how the Packers create that vision for 2018 and how quickly they're going to be able to do that. Yeah, and when you look at guys like Philbin and Hostler, they've coached multiple positions throughout their careers on offense. They have a a wealth of experience at, at, you know, all the different uh, you know types of components that come together on an offense but with that we've got to go to a break back with more on Packers unscripted right after this Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford next to Wes Hodkowitz. And Wes, quickly before we go, I wanted to touch on um, another aspect on the defensive side of the ball. We talked last week about uh, the influence and importance of Joe Philbin and his family and his decision-making process as uh, he decided to come back to Green Bay. Jerry Montgomery is the Packers' new defensive line coach moving up from defensive front assistant to take over Mike Turgovac's job. Um, he had sort of an interesting uh, family dynamic that he was dealing with as well in his decision-making process, and you talked to him a little bit about it, so tell us what uh, what he said. Yeah, what's interesting about this, Mike, is that no matter what walk of life you're in, you've been in this position, I've been in this position, doesn't matter if you're a defensive line coach or a sports writer, <laughs> um, you come to those crossroads at yeah. times where there's a great opportunity and you have to make a decision at what's best for your family. From a financial standpoint, 
everything jumped off the charts with this opportunity with the Texas A&M Aggies for Jerry Montgomery. Talking to a couple people after that had been announced, they didn't blame him at all for, for going down there and knowing his roots in college football. But ultimately, as he said, he took a plane ride back to Green Bay, had checked back in with Mike McCarthy, and after thinking about it long and hard, made the decision that Green Bay is where he and his family needed to be. I know they've developed really strong ties to their community uh, in terms of, you know, he, he's a father, I believe, of four um, all athletic kids that, that <laughs> of were really wanted to be in Green Bay. Um, so for him to make that decision, I know it's, it, it can be turbulent. He said it was a hectic month, but when you go to, the thing I always say is when you lay down at night, when you go to bed, you have to be confident with the decisions you made that day and you have to be excited about what you're seeing tomorrow. And I think this with the development, the bonds that he had already made in that defensive line room over the last three seasons, I think this was a no brainer for him once you put all those chips on the table. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is by all accounts, you know, he's really connected with those defensive linemen yeah. that he's worked with for the last few years now. We talked about Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry and guys like that and, and I think he senses, you know, not only not only was it his family that drew him back to Green Bay, but as you say, when you kind of put it all together and then and then he looks at the relationship that he has with those players that he's been coaching and now, you know, he gets a bit of a promotion out of it going from front assistant to actual defensive line coach. A lot of things uh, a lot of things made sense and made it very attractive. Even if it was a, a difficult decision, it was almost one of those maybe where he felt like he couldn't go wrong. Yeah, and think about that, Mike. And these young guys, that's the only coach they've known other than Mike Turgovac, so I think it makes sense. Yeah, for sure. But we've got to call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted, so be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.